There's a fifth grade teacher in a Christian school who asked her class to look at TV commercials and see if they could use them in any way to communicate ideas about God. So here are some of the results they got. God is like a Ford. He's got a better idea. God is like Coca-Cola. He's the real thing. God is like Hallmark cards. He cares enough to send his very best. God is like Tide. He gets the stains out that others leave behind. God is like General Electric. He brings, <clears throat> he brings good things to life. God is like Sears. He has everything. God is like Alka-Seltzer. Try him. You'll like him. God is like Scotch tape. You can't see him, but you know he's there. God is like Delta. He's ready when you are. God is like Allstate. You're in good hands with him. God is like VO5 hairspray. Do they still make that? I haven't heard about it. I used to hear about it a lot of times. I don't know about it anymore. He holds through all kinds of weather. God is like dial soap. Aren't you glad you have him? Don't you wish everybody did? Ah, <laughs> uh, the things we can learn about God. I hope we are learning some things about God and the things that He wants us to do as far as our saying is concerned. In the weeks prior, we were in James chapter 3 and a number of other places. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the, fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. We have, made, we have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grape bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, uh, both salt water and fresh. We see that the tongue is, is likened to the, the uh, bit on a horse that you steer the whole horse, which way you want to go, by the little tiny bit. You put the bit in its mouth. Then it also looks at a, a ship, though, but the, bit, the ship is huge, it's great. little tiny rudder guides that thing. And our tongue sets our direction where we are going to go. And the problem comes in is that our tongue speaks the things that we believe you really want to find out where a person is, just sit down with them, get them relaxed, get them come, and out of their mouth, will tell, they will tell you where they are and what they believe. They'll tell you what they believe about their job. They'll tell you what they believe about their family. They'll tell you what they believe about how events are going on in the world. You, t you sit down and talk with them for a little while, they'll begin to come out, and from their mouth, they're going to begin to speak these things. Very often, we talk our feelings. How many times do we talk our feelings, which are usually negative? Most times, feelings are negative. Well, I don't like that. I don't feel good about that. How many times have people, have you, maybe you, maybe other people that you've been around, have said, well, I just had to get that out. And I want you to say this, well, I just had to be carnal for a little while. Because that's what it is. I just had to give in to my carnal nature for a little while and then I'm back again. Why? Why do we have to give in? Why do we have to give in to the feelings? Why do we have to go this way? We don't. We talk sometimes negative feelings. Now notice this. Feelings fluctuate. Because how you feel today is different from how you feel tomorrow. Feelings will fluctuate. As long as you stay in the habit of speaking what you feel, what you say will always fluctuate. You'll be up, you'll be down. You have got to stop speaking out of feelings, stop speaking out of your flesh, and speak out of your spirit. 
Speak from what the Word of God has put in on the inside of you. If you don't have anything real positive to say on it, then hush. Do like Jairus did. Jesus goes with him. I'll talk. Just don't say anything. We can, we can work with this as long as you don't say stuff. Just keep that. We've got to just shut our mouths sometimes. Because we open up our mouths and we create trouble. In Proverbs 18 and verse 20, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his... How many of you always expect land? It doesn't say that though, does it? A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. If you need to increase something in your life, what you need to change is what comes out of your mouth. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the proceed of his lips, he shall be filled. From the proceed of his lips, he shall be filled. How many of y'all feel like you need a raise? Where does it start? With your mouth. How many of y'all feel that you could do with something different at the house? Where does it start? With your mouth. How many feel that you'd like it if, if more people you invite to church came out to church? Where does it start? Because too often folks were going around with their mouth like this. Well, everybody I invite to church doesn't come. Have we set a direction? Is it a direction that we want? See, we can change it. Just like going on, if you're going north on 611, I don't want to go north on 611. I don't want to go up to Easton. I don't want to go up to Allentown. I, 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 don't want, I want to go south. I want to go down towards Philly. But I'm going north on 611. What do you do? Change it. If you don't like the direction your mouth is putting you on, change it. Change it. In the area of sickness and disease, what do we do? Stop speaking how I feel. Stop speaking what things, how things are, how things are expected to be. And speak something else. Speak the change that you want. You know, when, it, when we were going through that uh, surgery, the doctor came back in, had to go to the doctor for the, follow, for the follow-up. And so the doctor, uh, it was one of those kind of things where he had to tell me something, but he didn't want to get me concerned. And so he, he sat there and he says, All right, well, this is what we found. When, and he told me what it was, and my face was like, all right, so what? Oh, but don't worry, it's not a, it's not a concern. We, we did this and we did this and did this and it's all okay. Great. And I was, I was done. I didn't need anything more about that. And uh, I'm, I'm sure he was kind of like, well, I had to tell you this. I thought you'd be more concerned. No. No, nope, I don't need to see you anymore, right? No, nope, you don't need to see me anymore. All right, we're good. And we went on. <laughs> see, because sometimes our mentality is that if we hear something outside of the normal area of what we want, we get concerned about it. We get concerned. Now, I told you, you know, up in my spirit came appendicitis. I didn't get concerned at all. I said, well, we'll just go and get it taken care of. They know what to do for that now. <laughs> go snip it out and, uh, and get going back on. And never gave it a second thought. It was going to be all taken care of. We don't have to latch on to things and be fearful and be negative and be talking, well, what if it doesn't happen? What if this goes? What if it... So, just know, my Father God, I thank you that you gave me warning on this, that you let me know plenty, plenty of time what was going on, and we're going to go take care of it. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. If you are not satisfied with your, with your life, with what's going on in your life, check your mouth. Because you're probably saying things that are leading to the dissatisfaction. Just listen to the things that you say. How do you talk about your job? Hate that job. Don't like that job. Don't like the people that job. That people at the job, they don't like me. They don't appreciate me. They're always doing this. This is that way. Don't like that. And just talking, talking, negative, negative, then don't wonder why you don't get satisfied from it. But speak positively about the thing. You're in a school. I don't like that school. I don't like that professor. The professor's no good. We keep talking negatively about things. Quit it. I don't like that wife. I don't like that husband. They're no good. Look at how they, they're this way, they're that way. Stop talking negatively about it. 
You gotta t- you can, if you speak positively about the things that are around, you'll find your satisfaction will increase. Is, doesn't the word say this? A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. What is the fruit of your mouth? What are the things that you're saying to produce fruit? From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. He shall be filled. Now, stay, stay in that mode of talking positively about things. Once you get into that mode and you get used to talking positively about things, it'll just stick with you. You won't even realize that you're doing it anymore. It's just normal. As much as negative talk was before, it's normal now. Brother Mouse is talking about a checklist. Get a checklist in there. What's my mouth? What's my talk like? What is the fruit of what it is that I'm saying? How do you speak about it? If you're in sales, how do you speak about sales? Well, I'll go in today, but I don't know that I'll sell anything. Guess what? You've got to change some things. You've got to speak some things that are different out of, out of that mouth. I put in your outline this. Before there is increase in anything, there must be increase in your mouth. Before there is increase in anything, there must be increase in your mouth. If you hear Donald Trump talk about economic issues, do you get a, woe is me? How's Donald Trump talk about economics? I'm going to make some money today. Doesn't he? I mean, isn't it always, I'm going to make some money today. I'm going to do something good. It's going to be a, a, a good thing. How many remember when the Sixers hired Pat Croce? Oh, I mean, there's a negative kind of atmosphere that was around the Sixers. And then Pat Croce came in. And all that he would say about the Sixers was good things, positive. You never heard this guy say anything negative about it. And pretty soon, the entire city was energized. And good things happened. And all of a sudden, the ping pong balls fell right for the Sixers. And what was that year they got the second pick? Was it the second pick they got? You basketball guys might remember that, that one year. He was, he was pulling for a high pick and they moved up from like 7-2 and two or something like that. They, they, did a good, they did a good job. They got a, a good player and things, uh, things went better. What, what did he do? He changed. I don't know if he changed, but he was one who would always be talking like he expected good things to happen. How do you talk about your business? Do you talk about it like, well, it's just going to fall apart? Then guess what? How do you speak about your job? Well, it's a lousy job. Can't wait for the next one. <laughs> you, you can't do that. You've got to talk positively about things. You know, I talk to other bunk bed makers around the country because uh, sometimes I get people from other parts of the country who call in and I'll talk to them. And most of the time I talk to them, well, you know, I'm not getting all that many orders. Got a couple here and there, and just not a whole lot. You know, there's some here. I don't really know what I'm going to do. Boy, that's a shame. I always talk to them, it's always the same thing, because I, I have all the orders I can handle. I have plenty. And more will be coming. And I just expect that. Cause, and God blesses it. But it starts with our speech, it starts with our mouth. What are we saying? What are we saying? How do we, how do we talk about these things? Now, here's something I heard from somebody some time ago. This phrase, we or I need, how many times have we said this? Father God, oh, I need. Oh, Father, I need. I'm in need of. And we begin to lay out what it is that we're in need of. And then we go off there expecting that God's going to answer the need and that's faith. We or I need is not a faith statement. Need, as soon as I bring in the word need... As soon as I say need, need is not having. Right? If I need money, it's because I don't have it. If I need a raise, it's because I don't have a raise. If I need healing, it's because I am not healed. Whatever I need, I don't have. Doesn't that make sense? Then need is not a faith statement. I cannot go to God and say, Father God, I need and be in faith. Need is lack. If I need something, then I lack it. I don't have it. I lack it. 
Need is not having. Need is lack. Now, compare this to Psalm, the 23rd chapter. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. <laughs> Ooh. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Can you imagine that sheep laying down there in that green pasture? Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I need some food. Get up. It's right there. He leads me beside this still water so the, the sheep can get some to drink. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Oh, I need comfort. Does that line up? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. How many of us feel like there is no table? All there are are enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Oh, Father God, I need to be anointed. My cup runs over. Oh, Father God, I don't have this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. <laughs> Do you see a need in there? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's what he's saying in the Psalms. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you hear the I need in there? No, it's a, I, I've already got. God's already blessed me. Surely, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. I've got green pastures all around. I've got plenty of still waters. What else does the sheep need? We've got to get out of that, that mentality. In Matthew chapter 16, in verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Look at this. Jesus wants to know who people say that he is. Isn't that right? Jesus is asking a question of the disciples. Who do people say that I am? That means that Jesus wants to know it. Why is it important to Jesus what other people are saying about him? So Peter tells him all the theories. I like Brother Hagin's definition of theory. Theory is a, uh, how do you put it? Theory is a supposition based on ignorance of the subject of hand. <laughs> when you think about that, I mean, there's, there's no better definition than that. A theory is a supposition based on ignorance on the subject of hand. The reason you come up with a theory is because you don't know why it's happening. Theory of evolution. Ignorance on the subject of hand. So he tells them. And he said to them, verse 15, But who do you say that I am? Is Jesus concerned with what the disciples say about him as far as who he is? He's asking them, isn't he? Who? Who do you say that I am? All right, now I, now I got it. Who they say that I am. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, when Peter says this, where is he speaking out of? Remember, we got on this, this part of the topic because of head faith and heart faith. Is he speaking out of his head? Or is he speaking out of his heart? Is he speaking out of what he knows because he's heard it? Or is he speaking out of what he believes? Speaking out of what he believes, doesn't he? And Jesus identifies it as that. So, verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. It's not a head thing. It's down in his spirit. When you get something revealed to you, it's not revealed to your head, it's revealed to your spirit. And it's by the Father, he said. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So he is speaking out of the belief. Jesus is asking them, who do people say that I am? And when they say things like John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, then it says that their belief is of such that they don't believe he's the Messiah. 
He's looking for belief. He's looking for what is it that they believe about me? All right, so we, we got them located. They're not on that page yet. I can't teach them things that I'd like to teach. Who do you say that I am? And when he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he has good things to say about that. Blessed are you. Now, look, he says to Simon Barjona, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. But all that Simon did was speak what was revealed. Isn't that right? All he did was say what he believed that had been revealed to him. He didn't do anything else, did he? But look at what Jesus says to Simon. Blessed are you. But all he did was speak what he believed. But what he believed and what he spoke set a course and set a direction. That he was going to go in such a way as to act that Jesus was the Son of God. The Messiah. The Christ. But all he did was speak about it. Jesus is speaking of what was revealed to his heart by the Spirit. He goes on and says this, And on this rock, on this rock, on what rock? He's not talking about Peter like some have come up with. Because Peter is not a rock that you can build on. What he was building on was the confession that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. On this rock, on the confession that Jesus is the Son of, the Son of God. Isn't that what Romans teaches us? About what salvation is about? On this rock, I will build my church. This, this confession that Jesus Christ is right. Now, Winston, Winston Churchill, you all remember him. He wants to find a fanatic as someone who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. I thought that was pretty good. A fanatic is one who won't change his mind and can't change the subject. We ought to get a little more fanatical about these things. We should get so much to the point that we believe it that we won't change our mind no matter who brings us anything different. And I can't change the subject. I'm always talking about Jesus. When He's done. Verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of of heaven. Does he have them? No. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, the binding and loosing comes when? When the keys are delivered. Right? Look at this. Look what he says. He's... He's, he's speaking all this based upon the fact that Peter spoke what was revealed in his heart. And he spoke it out. Then he says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. And on this rock I will build my church. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. Now, keys do this for you, don't they? How many of you all left your house today and locked the door? Why? Because you wanted to bind certain people from getting in and certain stuff that's in there to stay. Right? So you lock the door. You never think about the fact, well, maybe I can't get back in there, do you? Because you have... The key. When you walked in from the parking lot, how many of you locked your car? That binds a couple of things. Certain people, anyone without, a, without the key, cannot get in there. The stuff that's in the car stays, and even more importantly, the car stays on the lot <laughs> until you go out with the keys. But there are times that someone here in church says, oh, can I put something in your car? And you... Give them the keys because you trust them to have access to the stuff in your car. And then they come and they hopefully bring the, car, the keys back to you. 
Now, you wouldn't give those keys to some of the littler kids that are around because we don't know where they would go to. And it's important that we have those keys. So there needs to be, it's not just that you don't like them. It's just that you know I can't trust you with the keys now. And Jesus is saying, I will give you the keys. I'm not giving them to you yet. But I will give you the keys. And then he goes on, And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So we got into this conversation because Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? And how does Peter and the disciples know who people say that he is? Because they heard them say it. And who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. All that has happened so far is a discussion. Nothing else has happened. No teaching has gone on. No beliefs have changed. We have only spoken out of the beliefs that we already have. Right? And, and then he goes on to this, this part. This is, you need to understand this to get what he's getting at in verse 19. This is all we've discussed. What we believe and how that produces verbiage out of our mouth. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Seeing as we've seen the development of this story, how is it that we bind things on earth? Alright, now look. Is Jesus teaching any kind of a new method? What, has he, what is the only method He has discussed so far? Speech. What you say. It is the only method that has been discussed. He has not even really discussed belief. He did talk about revelation. Who do people say that I am? Whom do you say that I am? Alright. On this rock, this confession, this saying that Jesus is Lord, I will build my church and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The way that we taught on this stuff before, but the way that we bind, the way that we loose is by what we say. When I believe something and I say it, I either bind it or I loose it. Now, before I gave you a quote from somebody who, uh, who had said, your words about your life are more powerful than even God's. And I remember some of your responses on, on some of that. Some of you kind of you know, scratched your head on that a little bit and, and thought about that and not quite sure. You know, how can my words be stronger than God's? Your words for your life carry more weight than even God's. Words are important. Now we'll go back and take a look at a couple examples. When Israel was, was in Egypt and God says, I'm going to deliver you, I'm going to take you out, I'm going to take you into a land filled with milk and honey and all this sort of thing. And God, this, how many times did God say, I'm going to take you from this land and take you to this land and I will deliver the inhabitants to you? How many times did God say that about Israel? Quite a few, wasn't it? How many times did Israel say, we will die here in the wilderness? Whose words won? Israel's, didn't they? Israel's words won out. And those people died in the wilderness. How can that happen if their words for their life are not more important than even God's? If they do not carry more weight than even God's? How many people did Jesus die on the cross for? Everyone. How many people are saved? Only some. Those who believe with their heart and confess with their mouth. Right? If they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, you shall be saved. So even though God did the, spoke the words and provided the way, it is my words that bring the effect upon my life. Right? Even though God can speak all these great things, about it doesn't happen until it works for me. How many times did God say to Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations? And how long was it that, that Abraham shut it down? 25 years. And finally he gets him over to the side of being in faith. 24 years actually. Gets him over to the side of being in faith. And then finally Abraham sides with God. And then what happens? 
Baby. A hundred-year-old man. Baby. Why? Because he got his words lined up with God's. Even though God is God, your words carry more weight for your life than God's. Your words carry more weight. When they're in front of the fiery furnace and the king is decreed that they shall die, our God is well able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. What are they doing? They're taking what God has said He can do and speaking it into existence in their life. They are setting a direction in their life. When Daniel came to the prince and said, Hold on a minute. Why are you killing everybody? Give us till tomorrow. I will have the answer for you. He set his direction. He spoke the words. And he came about. We need to line up with God. We need to have our words line up with His words so that His words have that effect on us. But as long as we are negatively affecting the words that God says with the words that we speak, no matter what is actually true, what happens in our life is what we believe. The people who said that Jesus was Elijah said it because they probably believed it. The people who thought he was John the Baptist said it because they believed it. The people who thought he was well, a great prophet said it because they... But what can, what can God do? What can Jesus do for them with their belief in that place? Not much. Now, when the disciples came and they said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Word of God tells us that from that point on, He taught them differently. And He began to reveal things to them about the end of His ministry that was coming up. It changed things. You can change things for the good. You can also change things for the bad. You may look at the Word of God and say, but the Word of God promises me blessing. The Word of God promises me that this will... The Word of God promises me that this will... But the Word of God promises me... And then out of my mouth, keep speaking doubt and unbelief. I need unfaith statements like that. I lack. I don't have. I don't think God really loves me. I don't think God's really taking care of this for me, whatever it is, we're undoing the things that God says. We don't need to do it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. If you have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He didn't just say key, did he? He said keys. If you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That means if something is locked up, you can do what? Unlock it. If something is loosed, you can lock it up. If you want entrance into a certain place, you can get entrance. If you want other people to not have entrance into a certain place, you can. This is what we can do because we have the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. How do you bind and how do you lose? Now, we went over this in detail before, but it's simple. Too often we've just summarized this. That, well, I bind that up. I loose that. That's ridiculous. When name me one time that Jesus ever walked up the sun and said, I bind you up. I loose you into my life. Name me one time the disciples walked into any situation and said, I bind you up. I loose you in the name of Jesus. Name me one time they did it. If these folks did not do it, why do we? thinking that we're fulfilling the Scripture. They had the keys to the kingdom. They had the ability to bind and the ability to loose. Let's look at what they did. What did they do? Jesus comes up to the tomb of Lazarus. What has to happen? There's a dead man in there. He speaks to the dead man and the dead man comes out. The woman who was bent over, they all said, that's to see if he's uh, going to heal her on the Sabbath. She's all bent over. Jesus says about her, how much better that she should be loosed on the Sabbath day. And so what does He do? He goes over to the, to the woman. I bind you up. I loose you. Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. You are free from your infirmity. That's it. When He came over to the People who were demon-possessed. 
I bind you up. I loose you. No, what does he do? Come out in Jesus' name. He spoke to the situation. He called for a change. When you speak to a situation, when you call for a change, you are using the keys of the kingdom. The keys to the kingdom are what we say in Jesus' name. Now, remember what he said. Here's the key part. I will give you. That's future, right? That means they don't have it yet. I will give you. So, if we want to find out what the keys are, we've got to find out what he was going to give them. We have to find something that at this moment in time, they do not have, but in a time coming up, they will have. So, that narrows down our list. Mark chapter 16, verse 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. And these signs will what? Will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Sounds like keys to me, huh? John 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. And the Father may be glorified in the Son. Or that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask Anything in my name, I will do it. Does that sound like a key? John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. John 16, verse 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in in my name, He will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So what's he telling them here? Up till now you have not used my name, but from now on you will. What's that sound like? Does it sound like he gave them the key? Does it sound like they had the key to open up things? And close things? And did they not go out and, and do it? When Peter went out, in front of the gate, Peter and John are in front of the gate, Layman is there. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Were they not brought before the authorities and commanded to no more preach in that name? Where are they coming against? The keys to the kingdom. They come against the keys to the kingdom. Now you talk to Christians about changing things by speaking things, by speaking two things, by using the name of Jesus, and even amongst Christians, you get a funny look. Because if you were the devil, wouldn't you want this kind of teaching kept under wraps? Because if you learned how to bind and you learned how to loose, what's one of the first things you would do? If you learn how to bind and you learn how to loose, is not the first thing you want to do is to bind up Satan Bind up his work on your life? So if he comes against that kind of teaching, if he comes against and confuses that amongst the people, then they're not working the keys anymore. They're not working the keys. Now, if you, how many remember high school? Remember high school? How many places in high school could you not get into? Weren't there a lot of closets? Weren't there, when a room was locked, could you get into it? No. There are some places that you couldn't get into because you were told you're not supposed to get in there. And there are some of them that there was a lock on the door. But there was one guy who could get anywhere. You remember who it was? The janitor. And you could always hear the janitor. Because the janitor would always rattle the keys. Whenever he's walking on down the hall... You're not confused. It's not the principal. It's not the vice principal. It's not the teacher. It is... Here comes the janitor. I hear the keys. The janitor is the guy who can get into any place in the school. Any place. The principal even has to call him. Can you come down and open this closet for me? Be the one with the keys. You can get into any room and you can lock any room up. 
Be the one with the keys. Understand the name of Jesus. In order for the name of Jesus to work, you have to have faith in the name. So you've got to know what is it that the name of Jesus can do and then speak that name to those things. So this is what the devil wants to do then. If we can't conceal the teaching of the keys of the kingdom, then the next thing we need to do is to confuse the issue and get you to use the keys in the wrong areas. Let's get you to bind and loose stuff that's not intended for you to bind and loose. There's no faith in it for it in the Word of God. It won't work. And then you figure, oh, well, no. Don't do that. Stay with the keys. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 29, Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? Now, very often, folks, we look at this as we're the strong man and we're getting bound up. But why does it have to be that way? The wealth of the unjust is laid up for the... Righteous. <laughs> Verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Now look at verse 32. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. What is the focal point? What you speak. What you speak. Verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. If you're going to go out there and bind good things, or yeah, bind good things and loose bad things, you're going to be known. We don't want you around. But if you're going to be a person who binds up bad things and looses good things, people are going to want you around. There's all kinds of ways to bind up things and to loose things. Obeying the Word of God. If you have a work environment, and in that work environment, how many people do you know in your work environment who gossip? Is gossip a good thing or a bad thing? So what should you do as a believer? Bind it up. How do you bind up gossip in the workplace? I'll tell you how not to do it. By not saying anything. That won't bind it up. It just keeps on going on. By adding to it. That won't help it out either, will it? But what if you did what the Word of God says? You know what the Word of God says? It says that we ought to you know, take these things to other people. Maybe you take, tell them that part or not. Said, you know, if you have something against so-and-so, happen if we just go on over there and talk to them right now? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that, you know. Well, you do that enough times, guess what? They don't do that anymore to you. You start walking up into the group and they're all gossiping about, oh, shh, shh. what did you just do? You bound up gossip. Wherever you go, gossip stops. Wherever you go, gossip ceases. Is that what you're supposed to do? Is that the work that you're supposed to do? Yeah, bind up the bad stuff, loose the good stuff. Pretty soon, employers begin to notice. Wow, every place we put this employee, good things are abundant. Bad things minimize. They may even conduct an experiment. You may not even know it. Let's find out. Here's this really bad situation over here. Let's loose this employee and put them in there and see what happens. And you know they're watching you. And you just go about doing what you're supposed to be doing. And all of a sudden, the bad stuff is bound, the good stuff is loose, and they see the change, and the only thing that was altered in the situation was you were put in it. What does that tell them? This is a valuable employee. Wow. I want you to give that person a raise. Well, other people will get mad. I don't care. We need to keep this one around. You see how they change the bad situation into a good situation? Employers notice those things. They're looking for it. They want to see that kind of stuff going on. You can bind. You can loose. Just do what the Word of God says. Follow out the examples of Jesus. Look how Jesus bound up some bad things that were going on in the temple. Look how Jesus dealt with some hostile groups. 
Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brought of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we truly believe will come out of our mouth. We can cover it up for a little while. We can say all the right things that we need to for a little while. But if you sit any person down a long enough time, what they believe will come out. Because we are creatures who speak what we believe. We speak what we believe. What do you believe about your business? If you get a hold of this person and you know they're in church, glory to God, my business is blessed. Glory to God, things are going good. Glory to God, money's coming in. Glory. And then, but if you take them on out to eat, head over to their house and sit them down and have a conversation, oh, things are so hard. I don't know if I can make it. I don't think I can continue. I'm about at the end of my rope. What do we got? Ah, now we know what they believe. You can say some things that you don't believe. But you will have conversations about what you do. And it will identify you. Jesus is only concerned of, who do you say that I am? Because he's trying to identify, what's your belief in this? What do you really believe? Because it's what you believe that is going to help you or hinder you. What do you believe? When the Israelites said out of their mouth, we will die here in the wilderness, were they speaking out of belief? They believed that they would die. When they got all charged up and got excited about going on to the promised land, did it change what they believed? They changed it with their mouth, but down as soon as hard time came, as soon as the problem came, out of their mouth comes what they speak. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When things get bad, when trouble comes, out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth will speak. Just listen to yourself and you'll be able to find out, is what I believe down in my heart or is it just in my head? If it's in your head, you can speak it for a little while and cover things up. But down in your heart, when things go bad, how many times have we had things go bad? Anybody have anything go bad this week? When things go bad is when what you really believe comes to the surface. What do you believe? That's what you've got to deal with. If what comes out of you then is not the Word of God, is not His promises, then there's where your problem is. Your belief is in your head. It's not in your heart. You want it to be in your heart. But wanting a belief to be in your heart and it actually being in your heart are different. We want to get our belief down into our heart. Let's go on with this. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. I'd rather have good treasure down there and be bringing that kind of stuff out. In verse 36, But I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Now, that scares a lot of people. But we've got to understand what idle means. Because a lot of people define idle by all kinds of stuff. I always like to do it this way. If I wonder what a word in the Bible means, I generally look up the word and I'll go right to the Greek and I will look up the actual Greek word and then I want to find when was this Greek word used in the Bible. Because that tells me a whole lot about what that word means. So I did that here. The word here, idle, is the word, the Greek word, argos. It means inactive, unemployed, not working. So if you wonder what idle means, it means inactive, unemployed, not working. So every word that we speak that is inactive, unemployed, and not working. 
How can we have inactive, unemployed, not working words? By implication, the word means lazy, useless, barren, idle, or slow. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and he saw others standing idle in the workplace. What are they doing? Nothing. Are they causing trouble? Are they speaking bad about anyone? If they are, we don't know it. All we know is that they are doing nothing. nothing. And by nothing we mean they're not working. They're standing. They're talking. Probably discussing the Phillies. Things like that. But the Word of God still called them idle. Because, one reason, they're not working. What does working mean? Does working mean hard effort? No. Working does not mean hard effort here. Working means, it's real simple, making money. That's it. They are not making money. It doesn't matter if they're all working hard where they are. They're idle because they are not making money. Right? Isn't that what it is? They're idle. They are unemployed. They're waiting at the marketplace for someone to hire them. No one's hired them. So he said to them, You also go into the vineyard. Whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. He went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle. What are they doing? Not working. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one gave us something to do. No one said they needed help with anything. What is it? No one hired us. What does it mean when you hire someone? They're working. You pay them money. The difference in this story between one who is idle and one who is not is the amount of money they are or are not making. That's it, isn't it? There is no other difference. That's what this idle person is. 1 Timothy 5, verse 13. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not to. And not only idle, but also destructive. In other words, they are not doing anything productive. They are not helping the cause of the church. In fact, They're causing it harm. So, in the first story, it was making money. In the second one, it is being productive. What are they expected to do to be productive? If you read the whole whole, uh, section there, you'd find out. They should be praying. They should be teaching. So, the first story, no money. Second story, no production. Second Peter 4.1.8 For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For if these things, these traits that he's talking about in Peter, are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful. There will be fruit and you will be productive in what you do. So when he says, in a, uh, when he says uh, uh, back over here, and where do we leave off at? Uh, there it is. In verse, I didn't go back far enough. Do you have it up on there? For these things are yours and abound. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful. Now go back to the other verse we were at over in, in Matthew 12. There it is, uh, verse 36. Matthew 12, 36. But I say to you that, if for, that for every idle word... Men may speak. They will give account of it. Alright, so for the passages we looked at. First off, every word that does not make money. Come on, you can say that about the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ used that example Himself. When He gave them money, He expected them to use it to produce 
money for the kingdom. Productive was the second one. But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, every word that you say that does not further the kingdom of God, every word that you say that is not productive, every word that you say that does not do something positive for you. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Now, this scares people because we're wondering, oh, I don't know, I may have said some things and I don't want to be held accountable for this. Uh, this is this is this is bad. I don't know about me. It's guy going to sit there. How many of all have pictured this? God's sitting there with videotape. Roll the tape. Show me clip 493. Now, you hear, did you hear what you said? That was idle. No, what is it that what is, what is it that's going to be consistent? How many of you get that picture from any place else in the Word of God that God's going to sit up there with his videotape and, and roll the tape? Now, what were you doing here? What were you thinking here? And how many of you relish the idea of getting to heaven and having this video in front? No, millions of people all over heaven. And they call you. Steve Heck, come out here. Not you, that one. Yeah. Because there's a couple of us out there. Come on up. And before everybody, here comes the tape. How many, have you had that picture from some of the things that people have been teaching? But we only get it from this place. We don't get it from other places. How is it that we're going to be judged? I think it's going to be judged in a, in a way like this. When Jesus has the parable of the talents and they bring people up and he has the guy there and he says, uh, where's the money? Oh, I buried it. Buried it. It's over here. Gotcha. Here it is. All, it's perfectly intact. It's good. Here we go. What happened to the money? The, the money became idle. It was not producing. It was not employed. It sat there. Isn't an exhort, exhortation he even said to him? Why don't you at least put it in the bank? And we'd at least get interest. He wants what we have to be employed. How many have questions for God? How many have had a situation go on in your life? And you wonder why is that situation go- why was that situation allowed to go on in my life? And how many of you are looking forward to the day that you can get up to heaven and say, God, I have a question for you. Why did this happen in my life? I don't understand why you let that happen in my life. I don't understand why this one died. I don't understand why I lost this. I don't understand why this came in here. How many of us have questions like that before before God? You know that Jesus has been asked questions like this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and they asked them some questions. Why do you do this? Why do you do this? How come of this? And Jesus answered them, didn't he? But every time he answered them based upon the questions that they asked. And he, he hit them so hard that they stopped. The picture I get from this is that we're going to be up in front of the judgment seat and some of us at the front of the line are going to get up before God and say, God, I don't understand why this happened. Why did I die early? Why was I with that disease? Why was this so hard? Why was this going on? Gabriel, you got to take 4,567. Roll it. And out of my mouth come words that are idle about that situation. Out of my mouth come words that I think I'll die before I'm... And he rolls tape after tape after tape. And then he gets done and says, And you wonder why you died young? Look at the words that you released. Look at the things that you set loose. Look at the things that you bound up. And you wonder why? Now, do you have another question? No, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Think we're done? And then maybe another brave soul in the audience. Said, oh, I, I, I can see that, but I know I didn't do that. I got one for you. And they come on up and then, yes. How come? And they throw it on out there. Uh, Gabriel, roll the tape. And out of our mouth come words to bind. Out of our mouth come words to loose. And he looks to us and says, do you wonder why now? No, sir. I understand perfectly. If you would have understood before, you wouldn't have had that trouble. Do you have any other questions? No, sir, I'm done. See, I don't think it's going to get that far. I think there's going to be a few people maybe who get 
who talk about it. But we saw how Jesus handled the Pharisees when they came and they asked some questions they thought they were self-righteous on and that they were right on. And there are going to be people who are going to come up to God and say, I don't think I deserve that. I don't think it should have gone that way. Roll the tape. Roll the tape. Where the, see the idle words? You see the non-productive words you put in the operation? You see the words that were supposed to loose that you caused the bind? You see the words that were supposed to bind you caused the loose? You loosed the bad and you bound the good. You wonder why? Nope, not now. But it's a whole lot better, folks, we learned this early. Learn it early. Now, you may say, well, I don't think that's so about every idle word. Good! I'll wait till heaven to get to find out that I'm right. You tell me what it is. You come up with a better idea. Because you better find out what it is because apparently we're going to be held accountable. But if I understand it, Father God, I understand I had idle words and I loose bad stuff on me. I don't blame you for that anymore. That was my fault. But I'm changing that course. I'm not going that way anymore. And I'm going to speak words that are positive. And I'm going to be held accountable for that? I changed the course. When I get to heaven, I'm not holding God responsible. I'm not sitting there saying, God, this is your fault. Why did you let this happen? I don't do that. I realized I was my fault. I, I spoke idle words. I spoke words that were non-productive. I spoke words that were unemployed. I had words go out of my mouth that had nothing at all that they were supposed to do. What should the words out of our mouth be? They should be employed. They should be productive. They shouldn't be lazy. This is what our words need to be. What are the words that are out of our mouth? What are those words? What are the things that we are saying? For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. The words of your mouth, when you are relaxed, when you are at ease, will give away the belief of your heart. Not the Christianized words that you you say when your guard is up and you're around people, but the ones when you're relaxed. Well, I guess it will just always be that way. I guess that won't change. We don't need to have words like that. Remember we talked about words that had no end? They were just ongoing. That always happens to me. I always get the short end of the stick. I never get the raise. We've got to quit having words like that. I haven't gotten the raise in the past, but, I, but mine's coming. Mine's coming. What am I doing? I am loosing something, aren't I? What am I doing in the other, in the other situation? I am binding every idle word. Every idle word. Our words will always be working for something. Are they working for good? Are they like the little ladies who would go around and do harm to the church? Or are they like the guys that were pulled off of being idle and put to work? Our words should be working for good and not for evil. Our words should be working for good and not for evil. Work the works, work the things for good, not for evil. Work it for good. What is coming out of your mouth? What are you saying? What is spoken out of your mouth? Are they good words? Are they working words? Listen to the words you release. What are they loosing? What are they binding? Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to hear the words that we speak, to hear the things that we say. We want to change the things that we say. We want to change the direction that we're going. We don't want to have idle words coming out of our mouth. We want to have words that are employed, words that have purpose, words that are bringing about good things. We thank you for the help that you give us. That as idle words come out of our mouth, you remind us, that's not good. You're not sending words out to do work. You're not sending things out to, to be employed. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Being the first Sunday of the month, as we...
remember communion as we walk on guys are walking the elements around be thinking yourselves remember the work that Jesus did at the cross remember the breaking of the body remember the blood that was done he did it for a purpose he spoke words during his life that had purpose he did things that had purpose what are the things that you are releasing what is their purpose what are they going to accomplish what are you saying what kind of words go on I'm always so lonely I never have any friends I don't understand I'm confused that always happens get your words working positively because they have an effect. They have an effect. I think the only way we are ever brought before judgment on it is if we accuse God of wrongdoing on a matter and He simply rolls the tape to let us know, that wasn't me, that was you. I didn't do that. You want me to remind you of your words? This is what you said. This is what you spoke. I would have liked to have brought you into the land of promise, but you kept speaking death in the wilderness. Eventually you died in the wilderness. But that's not what I wanted. What are we doing? What are we speaking about in our situations that is bringing death instead of life? On the same night that Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread and He broke it and He said, This is My body which is broken for you. As often as you do this, remember. And we're to remember that on His body was put our sickness, our disease, our pain. He bore it all for us so that we don't have to. Let's eat together and remember the work that He did. We know from the Word of God that after supper, He took the cup. And He said, This is the blood of the new covenant. Up till then, it was the blood of bulls and goats that brought about the covering up of sin. But now the Son of God is going to die for us and His blood would wash our sin away. Let's remember, it's not what we do. It's what He did. Let's drink together. Glory to God. Father, we thank You for Your goodness, for Your grace. We thank You for the help that You give us in all the things in our life. We can bring about life into everything that we do. Your word, of God, your word tells us that power, power of death and life is in the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We can speak death. We can speak life. And it's not just what we speak. It's like Mark said. If we believe it in our heart. The problem is what we believe in our heart comes out when we speak. And even though we try and have a positive confession in between, we don't have the belief in the heart of those things that we do when we speak out those true things that we believe. And they keep winning over. Those are idle words that are bringing about bad things into our life. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us to clean them up and get rid of them.